Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Is on. Here is Ron. All right, those people. Yeah. All right, so All right. Uh, you getting rain? The show. You getting rain? Uh, I did earlier. I did yeah. earlier. I got quite a bit. Um, yeah. Moved it through. Storm. You know, it just uh, <clears throat> clouds. You know, a little cloud burst here, but nothing. Nothing significant. Nope. It did last night, but not today. No, it's it was it rained for probably an hour, hour and a half or so. Wow. Like wow. Yeah. Good. Um but I'm 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 more inland from you, so we're like up at a higher elevation, you know, in the mountains. That's, that's the truth. Yeah, wow. yeah, you are in the, the mountains of Florida, so therefore you get you know, that rain coming off the yeah. east coast hits the mountains and dumps the water. Yeah. yeah. yeah and the temperature right. drops nineties, uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so humidity declines. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, I went to USF, University of South Florida. They were going to do a hearing aid study. And I don't have hearing aids. I probably at times think I should, but I don't want a hearing aid. Well, they were doing a study that had uh, every two weeks you would get a new hearing aid for like six hearing aids. So this thing lasted for like 12 weeks and you would wear a new hearing aid and it would, you would make notes and stuff on your iPhone. I don't have an iPhone, so I couldn't do the study, but they did a hearing test on me and they found that my left ear folds down over my hearing canal and so therefore I don't hear as well out of my left ear as I do my right ear but I'm using new headphones tonight and oh my gosh when that opening came on I really heard it through both of them very well so yay new headphones Uh, yeah that makes a big difference it really does yeah so Uh, that's when I found out about, that's what I told you about the hearing test. That's when I found out that my left ear, and that's funny because I use my left ear to talk on the phone all the time. So maybe I should start using my right ear. So. Yeah. Or your headset. <laughs> yeah, the headset. Yeah, start doing it with the headset. That's even better idea. Yeah. So we don't have a guest tonight, but we do have stuff to tell you. And just passing on information like, 
we're all about wine, so it's just different things about wine. And wine encompasses so many things that it's always fun to have a show like this when I can pass on. Now, tonight, I, most of the program, I'm going to start concentrating on Wine Folly. I get an email from Wine Folly. Madeline Puckett is the founder and sommelier with Wine Folly. She's very knowledgeable. She writes articles on all that stuff. She does different things. Um, most of the time, I read her stuff, and it's just like the same stuff I've said and all that. Every once in a while, she'll come out with something that I go, oh, well, wait a minute here. But overall, we pretty much agree. Well, tonight, I was going through different things to talk about, and I found that I have like six or seven different emails of Wine Folly here with information on each one of them that I want to share. So tonight's going to be basically talking about the things that Madeline put on there. And I'm not trying to plagiarize. That's why I'm giving her the whole credit for them and everything. So some of that stuff. And you can always subscribe to the Wine Folly uh, email too. I'm, it's simple enough. I think it's winefolly.com, but I'll give it to you for sure a little bit here. But first... Unless, Mike, you have anything to say before we start out here? No, uh, I think I'm good. Just uh, All right. take some notes here. I'll let you do the notes take and take care of any any message ins or anything. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, visit the website and uh, our Facebook, rather, and you can just leave Facebook messages there. Yeah, yeah, Blog Talk Radio. and. Leave messages, and we'll see on all that. So if you have any comments or anything. First thing I want to talk about, and this is something that I saw, and I went, oh, my gosh. A South African winery did, uh, had, a, had a major catastrophe on June the 2nd, which, uh, no, that was, it didn't happen June the 2nd. This was the date of this article it happened well where is it may sometime i don't know toward the end of may here but what happened was uh wine cellar darling cellars in south africa is less than 10 miles from the atlantic ocean on south africa's western cape and they had a catastrophe, uh, a 50,000-liter wine tank collapsed. And when it did, it started a domino effect that ended up losing 250,000 liters of wine and also destroyed a lot of tanks and structures and stuff. Now, 250,000 liters, since we're Americans and we don't, we don't talk liter, that equals 66,043 gallons. 66,043 gallons of wine. Okay, what happened was uh, the, well, the chain reaction likely started when a stand supporting one of the 50,000-liter steel tanks collapsed. And this caused the first tank to knock over an adjacent tank, which knocked over another adjacent tank, which knocked over another, you know, dominoes. That's really what it was. Uh, 
Some of the tanks also smashed through the winery's concrete walls, and it also damaged pipes that were in the wall. Nobody was injured, but a whole lot of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Sensol went to waste. Uh, the managing director of uh, the winery, my name of Ryan, R-I-A-A-N, DeWall, told Wine Spectator magazine, the Darling Cellars team is used to bowling, battling the odds, and somehow we always come out on top. But the COVID-19 pandemic has been really tough on South African wine industry this year. I mean, it's our last year and into this year. So they have been fighting that continuously. And then this hit Darling Cellars, uh, Cellars and destroyed it. This is first accident to strike Darling Cellars that uh, uh, they, you know, something on this scale. But last year, uh, accidents in wineries have happened. A 50-liter tank ruptured at a Spanish winery, and a mechanical failure caused nearly 200,000 liters of wine to overflow into Sonoma's Russian River. Remember, I read an article about that and told you about that. That was uh, a couple years ago. And a broken winery pipe in Argentina caused another local river of wine. So it's not unheard of that we have these accidents, but it's still devastating when it does happen. Uh, Darling Winery has lost its 2021 vintage. Uh, they're not panicking. They said, we believe we will be able to source red wines to replace those we have lost. Now, you got to realize this uh, South Africa is six months ahead of us. Uh, they're in the Southern Hemisphere, and they're actually six months. They're heading into, well, they're in, in fall now, heading close to winter. The wall, again, the managing... Uh, winemaker says uh, expects to have the damaged tanks replaced before the 2022 harvest, which would be uh, in the spring. So it's about eight months away. We have received so much support from the wine industry that it is actually humbling to see how many people care for us. We will convert that positive energy to keep us going. So they are going to recover, but. Oh, my gosh, 66,043 gallons of wine. And it flowed, actually, they're 10 miles from the Atlantic Ocean. And it just, the river wine actually made it to the Atlantic Ocean and was spilling in the ocean. So, ooh, that's just sad. It's a sad thing to think that would happen. It, it did there. So, uh, let's see, where do we want? We want the next page here. There we go. Wine folly. Uh, I've, I've used wine folly before for different information, different things I've passed on to you. And I usually try to give them credit when I do. I have a bunch of different well, uh, um, emails here that have information from Wine Folly. And so I thought that it would be a good opportunity to go into it and get caught up on it. So you can, uh, if you ask, Wine Folly says, ask us something. 
you can email support at winefolly.com. That's W-I-N-E-F-O-L-L-Y, winefolly. And you can subscribe to them uh, at winefolly.com. You can ask for the e-letter. And it's it's pretty interesting. They have uh, quite a bit of information that I usually get a couple of weeks. Some of them are advertisements trying to sell stuff. They got a lot of really neat maps and different posters and stuff that they do all the time. And it's probably the best overall supply of posters of all sorts of different stuff wine related that I've seen. They have a big variety of them. This first thing I want to talk about a little bit here is do wine corks matter? And they got a chemist explaining why wine corks matter when storing wine. So it's, uh, well, most foods are best as fresh as possible. Uh, peaches, uh, if you eat them on the spot, uh, are great. I mean, anything like that. Uh, the exceptions to the rule is many wines that actually need some aging to taste their best. Are you there? I don't know if you can hear me, but I, your audio just stopped all of a sudden, at least on my end. Let's see. I don't know if you can hear me, but I cannot hear you. I have no audio coming in here. So I'll either disconnect or I don't have any uh, bad packets either. So, uh, yeah, no bad packets on this end. Um, if you're hearing me, then uh, we've got audio issues somewhere because I don't hear you. Let me see if I can hear the applause. Well, I think Ron called back. Let's try that. Yeah, there I am. There you can go. You now I can hear you. All yes. right. Now, you know, I'm I'm sitting there talking, and, and remember I tell you that, that sound, beep, 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 Oh, yeah. That came on, and I go, I'm gone. That's it. I knew I was, uh, <laughs> the sound just left. And I don't know why it does no. that. I have no what? idea why it does that. But so uh, good. Um, yeah, I would, you know, I, and like yeah. I was telling Mike before the show, I've used these microphones, and I've, I've got a new computer I'm using. I use these microphones, computers. I've listened to a bunch of stuff, and, and I haven't used a microphone a whole lot. But still, though, I mean, you know. So, well, all right, hey, I'm I'm here. I I called in, and I'm I'm back, and. I'm here, so let's go back to where we were and yeah. t- talk about corks and uh, the uh, winemakers uh, know that aging process uh, includes letting oxygen dissipate from the bottle, and so they use corks. 
Now, let me, this is one aspect of aging has to do with the reaction of fruit acids with alcohol. Now, this process reduces the sourness in the wine, but it's really important in, in tart wines. Uh, ones coming from cold climates. If you get cold climate wines, you really need to reduce that that sourness in it. The complex oxidation process is the second aspect of aging. So when oxygen interacts with the wine, it produces many changes, ultimately yielding an oxidized wine that has a nutty aroma. This is desired for sherry styles, and uh, it, it really it compromises the aromas in fresh white wines. But this is what happens uh, when the oxygen interacts with the wine. So, oxidation, the oxidation process provides benefits along the way uh, to that end point where it's not good, okay? So, many wines develop undesirable aromas uh, under no oxygen conditions. And a small amount of oxygen will eliminate these trace thiol compounds. These are responsible for the aroma of rotten eggs or burnt rubber. Oxidation products also react with the red anthocyanin molecules from the grapes to create stable pigments in red wine. This way, bottle is sealed. Will uh, the way a bottle is sealed will directly affect how much oxygen passes into the wine each year. All right, now, it, I have always been told that corks actually breathe a little bit. I was strongly corrected on that by a couple of winemakers that I respect tremendously, and I politely disagreed with them, but they insisted, and I insisted, and we never came to a mutual understanding that either one was right or wrong. Okay, glass is a hermetic material. That means that no oxygen can pass through it. But all wine bottle closures admit at least a little bit of oxygen. The amount of oxygen is actually the key to how it's going to age. A typical cork will let in about one milligram of oxygen a year, which is really not much, but it is enough to do the job. So after two to three years, the cumulative effect can break down the sulfites that added to stop oxidation. And that's what sulfites are used for most of the time, is to stop oxidation. So that, you know, sulfite's not a bad thing. It it really does. It uh, It helps. Uh, so, three major closure options are available. Natural cork and technical cork um, and screw cap and synthetic corks. Now, the natural corks have been around for about 250 years or so, and that replaced uh, boiled rags and wooden plugs and any number of types of closures that they can come up with to seal it. And it also created the aging process. 
until about 20 years ago, natural corks were pretty much the only option available out there. But then they started coming up with others. Now, natural cork comes from the cork oak tree. The corcus super is the actual scientific name of it. And the cork cylinder is cut from the outside to the inside of the bark. Now, uh, she says here that it's harvested every seven years uh, through the life of the cork oak. I uh, was talking to a cork maker, and he said it takes nine years for the cork oak to grow back and get it to the proper thickness on the cork. So I, I tend to tend to go with the nine-year time frame for the cork to grow properly. Um, now, uh, a small fraction of corks end up causing a substance, a smelling moldy substance in called uh, uh, TCA or trichloronosol. And this is referred to as a corked wine. It gives you a moldy, uh, moldy smelly uh, aroma coming out of the wine itself. Uh, let me back up here. Not all cork comes from Portugal. Only 49.6% come from Portugal. Spain produces 30.5%. Next is Morocco with 5.8% of all cork, Algeria 4.9%, Tanzania 3.5%, Italy 3.1%, and France produces cork uh, about 2.6% of the total. So it is spread out. Portugal is where most people think of cork, but it is spread out to the Mediterranean region and the areas there. And I think that's about the only areas that that cork oak tree grows well and that's why so TCA has one of the most potent aromas in the world and you can smell it people can smell it with as little as two parts per trillion in the wine not much but enough so when you smell it and you know it's there so even if I, I tell people you know there's very few very few wine bottles that are actually associated with are affected with TCA. But if you go to a restaurant or if you buy a bottle of wine and spend twenty five, thirty, forty, sixty dollars for it, and it's affected with TCA, then that is actually one too many. So they're trying to find a better alternative, and that's what brought on all these different alternatives. Is really trying to beat TCA. One of it is synthetic, made by polyethylene. And this is the same stuff as milk bottles and plastic pipes are made from. And after years of research, these corks now perform nearly the same as natural versions, except they have no cork taint, more oxygen, and they are consistent in the oxygen transmission. So these are important things. If you, the consistency is a major selling point to a winemaker because he knows how long that or how fast that oxygen is going to get to his wine, so he can choose 
the amount of time that he wants at auction. So there's a range of synthetic corks with different rates, and he says, okay, I want this to auction it, auction, auction my wine at a certain rate, so therefore it will be perfect to drink in five years, 10, 20, 50, whatever. Okay, screw caps are actually two parts. They're the metal cap and the liner inside the top of the cap that seals the wine itself. That is actually goes over the lip. Now, this liner is the one that really controls the amount of oxygen getting into the wine. But when screw caps were only used on jug wines, there were just two types of liners available. Today, there are multiple companies, and they're all offering different types of liners with different types of oxygen transmission. So they're replacing the old tin, which used to be the traditional liner, with uh, new types. Uh, so it's a new new style, and it's actually better. Screw caps uh, being manufactured uh, are very consistent with the amount of oxygen that they let in. So, performance of the manufacturer closures uh, made you know now the new ones is pretty pretty excellent. Uh, they can tell you how long it's going to age and all that. And for regular wine purchase for dinner or you know, this weekend or within the next couple of years or anything, the manufactured closures, be it um, plastic or screw cap, will do the job for you. But for long aging, you really have to go natural cork. It's the synthetics and screw caps uh, are not really to the point now where we know for sure. I've read something, actually I read something in a couple different places, so it wasn't just one source, that screw caps tend to create a higher level of SO2 or sulfites in the wine. And once it gets to a certain level, you can really start smelling it and, and tasting it. So I don't know. Uh, that, as far as screw caps go, I read that, but I haven't seen any other comments about it or anything else. So, that is where we're at. You know, if you're going to just, and most wines, let's face it, I read a statistic that shocked me, but then the more I thought about it, the more it seemed true. 95% of all wines purchased is consumed within the first 30 days. And think about it. You buy wine, what do you do with it? Take it home and drink it. People go to the store and buy wine, they take home, it's for that evening or that weekend. And seldom is wine actually put away in age for any length of time for any reason whatsoever because you buy it to drink it. Uh, the few people that do grab bottles of wine and put it away, myself being one of those, is uh, the small, small 5% of the people that buy wine. And so therefore... The closures, most of the time, don't make a difference. But if you're going to age it, then start looking at a uh, cork 
and not uh, the new closures. So that uh, that's one of the things that is seeing what else is uh, keeping your wine fresh. Uh, that's the same thing. Uh, they talked about the terror of Walla Walla, Washington, here a little bit. Uh, the we haven't talked to any wineries in Washington either, but now I need to get on the horn and start getting a hold of them. Uh, Walla Walla Valley in Washington uh, has a uh, silt and lowest soil composition, basalt. Uh, give wines a meaty and savory notes, it says. Uh, continental climate, semi-arid rainfall, and warm temperatures. And so, therefore, uh, the uh, winemaking process while it follows tra- traditional methods, and it uh, gives you full-bodied red wines with oak aging most of the time. Uh Pinot Noirs are very popular out of there, Cabernet, Merlots. So that's uh, a little bit about Walla Walla, Washington there. they The wine folly goes into a lot of regions, too, and tells you stuff like that. So you can follow that. But uh, All right, wine folly. Let's, I don't want to do that, or do I? Yes, I do. Yep, there we go. Okay, uh, sorry, talking to myself while I'm doing stuff. So. Uh, next one is, no matter how careful you are, having a rotten morning after a night of wine tasting can hit anyone. So let's look at how you can ensure a comfortable morning after. This is one of those things where you, I, I, I have to preface this with, uh, a one person's opinion type thing on this. I have heard so many, so many different ways to prevent a hangover or to prevent feeling bad after drinking wine. And, you know, everybody swears by their method. And I, you know, best method is don't drink too much wine. I mean, that really is the bottom line there. You know, watch how much you're drinking because it is alcohol. Uh, She says, uh, or whoever wrote this article, let's see. Let's go down to the bottom and see who wrote this article. Yeah, Madeline wrote this one. Uh, She says that few ailments that can ruin your night faster than a wine headache. A dull flooding that starts in the back of the head and pushes its way forward and down your neck. Says, is there a wine that won't give you a hangover? And she says, the short, short answer is yes. Certain red wines are less likely to uh, give you a hangover based on chemical properties and the psychology of how we consume them. So given the ideal red wine, there are some major factors that will help you avoid a hangover. Well, you know, I can understand this how we consume them. We don't just take a glass of red wine and throw it down the throat. It's something that we sip and that stretches out. Looking for a wine that doesn't give you a hangover? Dry reds with lower alcohol. That's 125 to 13.5%. Moderate tannins. Tempranillo, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Verde. 
And she says, spend a little more. Bulk wines and flavored wines tend to have more wine additives. And not so much anymore, but, you know, it's always best to get yourself a good wine anyway. So I'm not going to say too much about that. Um, the uh, lower alcohol will help. Major causes of wine hanging over, again, Madeline's toxic chemicals. This is one major organic chemical compound found in wine, beer, and other spirits that can increase the occurrence of hangovers. The chemical uh, acetaldehyde is a byproduct of your body produces while metabolizing ethanol. Liquor with higher levels of acetaldehyde, considered a wine fault, has been shown to cause a more severe hangover. And red wines have the lowest levels of acetaldehyde. So that's why she suggests that. Um, dehydration. This is another thing that causes hangovers. It says a major cause uh, is the alcohol is a diuretic that inherently causes hypoglycemia. And so therefore when you are dehydrated and it will cause your the headaches and all that. I've had people come into the winery that would sit there and drink a glass of water between each tasting. And, uh, and, you know, when you go through 12 tastings like I had, I would think that that would get you mighty, mighty full. But they insisted that that stopped them from having any type of hangover reactions to the wine. Okay. Uh, she also says higher tan in red wines encourages more water drinking, so uh, it's, I don't know, it, it might be good for you and all that. I, I just have, I've never tried it, drinking that much water between each wine that I've tasted, but, you know, the thing is, if you think you're drinking too much, don't, you know, cut back on it. You don't have to do it, and don't spit. Spit's really disgusting. When you go in and start spitting out the wine each time, you taste, I mean, the little bit that you're tasting at wine tasting. So if you're going to do it all day long, then maybe it might be prudent to spit. But if you're going to just taste a few throughout the day, then uh, it's people really don't know how to do it. Uh, she gives some tips here, uh, Wine Hangover Recovery Guide. And she said that uh, the best wine hangover recovery guide ever, she calls it, wake up early. And she said being awake increases your metabolism, which helps to jumpstart your recovery. So if you do have yourself a hangover, get up early and uh, start doing stuff and follow these steps. Her steps are water, 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 and more water. Uh, says set your phone alarm to drink six to eight ounces uh, every hour. Now that's not people say eight ounces. Oh, I can't do that. Eight ounces really isn't much. Six to eight ounces is not much at all. Um, I people used to come to the winery, and I and I, I would we, we would get in discussion of drinking water, and I had stimulus glasses. 
And I would say, how big do you think these glasses are? And people would usually guess around four ounces, five ounces. And they were actually nine-ounce glasses. They held a lot. And it always surprised people that, you know, eight ounces in that glass was really not a lot. So measure it out. See how much. Get yourself a glass, measure it out, and say, okay, this is this is my eight-ounce drink. Um if you drink coffee regularly, be sure to drink extra water. If you're queasy, mix in some baking soda with the water. And avoid coffee. Drink hot water or herbal tea instead. And coffee will promote your your hangover. Uh, she says go for a short run or a longer walk. Take a not-too-hot shower. And avoid alcohol and greasy foods. It says the myth is to drink alcohol to counter, you know, the old, uh, the, the, the old uh, idea of you have a Bloody Mary in the morning to counter. It doesn't work. You don't put alcohol on top of alcohol and expect it to cure the alcohol. That's an urban myth. I hate to tell you. And if you get inflammation from alcohol, put a cinnamon stick in your herbal tea. Cinnamon has been has extremely high doses of condensed tannin, which reduces inflammation. So there you go. And tannins don't cause you headaches either, and neither does sulfites, so don't blame those things. Uh, listen to music, she says. Take a cat nap, if you want to call it that, a 15-minute, 20-minute nap. That helps too. And also... Remember how much you drank so you don't do it again and won't get another headache. So there you go. Those are just the wine recovery methods offered by Wine Folly. And let's see if there's something else here on this particular one. Uh, Nope. Okay. Let's see what the next one is. And... uh, this one, I, I don't know how to. How can you host a great wine party? Okay. Uh, have a different, different wines, and a good thing to do is get away from the standard uh, Cabernet Merlot, Pinot Noir, and pick up some other grapes that people aren't familiar with wines. That's always fun on a wine party. Uh, get some Syrah or Malbec or uh, Carignan or it just Barbera, different ones that people aren't familiar with and introduce that to them. That's always fun to do for a wine party. You can also do a formalized tasting, which is uh, something that's that's fun. Uh, the uh, Wine Folly sells placemat, tasting mats that have information on it, uh, and you can. Uh, there are twenty packs, and you can do uh, and everything else on it. That's this is a cool thing. It really is. And there's uh, all sorts of drinking games you can do, and everything else. So, so the, you know, center your party around wine. But my biggest suggestion, if you're going to have a wine party, introduce everybody to different wines. 
and talk about them and get them excited about something other than just the old standards that you tend to find and drink all the time and it will people will start liking that a lot more uh let's see are these the most underrated wines uh Beaujolais Beaujolais she's finding that you know a lot of different wines in the Beaujolais region uh most people aren't the Beaujolais Nouveau is about the only Beaujolais that they're really familiar with and that's the early one, although the Beaujolais Nouveaux are sort of really sad because they're a shell of their former self. They used to be really, really good, uh, and now they are not. They, they, they've really fallen down in their quality. But that's the people's knowledge of Beaujolais. Uh, she talks about Beaujolais here. I'm not going to go into it because that could actually be a whole hour program just talking about Beaujolais and uh, Beaujolais Nouveau and Beaujolais Rosé and all the different ones that they come out of there. So maybe in the future we will do a, a show on Beaujolais. We haven't done one on foreign wines in a long, long time. How sweet is your favorite wine? Sweetness chart. This is something that people like sweet wines. Um, the, you know, I, well, sweet hits different parts of the tongue. Um, you can detect sweet because that is one of the basic tastes in your mouth. And so, therefore, people recognize that right away. Uh, there's a lot of things that people say they taste in wine that you can't. Uh, you, you, you can't taste hot and cold. That's not a taste. That's a sensation. Uh, there's just your, your basic... Uh, sweet, sour, bitter, salt, umami, and uh, kukami. These are your basic tastes. That's it. And nothing else. And so it's variations from those. But red wines uh, tend to be uh, bold, even bitter finish. Uh, not quite as bone dry as your... Uh, savory flavors coming out in red wines. Dry red wines has a vegetable and herb undertones. Dry, more of a tart, fruits and uh, flowers. Uh, also dry gives you ripe fruits and spices or fruit sauce and vanilla. Semi-sweet, more of a candied fruit and flowers. Sweet wines, fruit jam and chocolate, and then very sweet, uh, figs, raisins, and dates. That's what you're going to pick up in the, in the taste on it. She has a uh, poster with uh, all these on there and the different wines that would fall into those different categories. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, very good poster that tells you a lot of that stuff, and it's, it's very pretty simple. Um, the sweetness chart, you go white wines, and that was the reds basically, white wines, 
bone-dry white wines. You're going to pick up lemons and mineral flavors, uh, dry, savory flavors and herbs, uh, also dry grapefruit and green apple, uh, yellow apple and pineapple. You can also get uh, dry peach flowers and sweet lemons, off-dry honeycomb and lemon flavors, semi-sweet tropical fruit and perfume, a sweet white, you get sweet lemon and honey, and then very sweet whites. You're going to find golden raisins, fig, apricot jam. So those are your, your what she has the different ones, and then the wines that are underneath those. Both of those posters are available through Wine Folly, by the way, so you can check that out. Um, so, uh, but your the sweetness is something you're looking for residual sugar in the wine and the residual sugar will tell you about how sweet a wine is going to be i've talked about residual sugars and how you how to detect it and what it is and where it comes from uh Residual sugars will contain carbs. Uh, so if you are on a diet, watching your residual sugars will make a difference. A bone-dry wine will have the six or 0.6 carbs uh, for bone-dry. You get a dry wine is 0 to 10 carbs, off-dry 10 to 20 carbs, a medium-sweet, you're looking at 20 to 70 carbs, depending on how sweet it is. Then a sweet wine, 70 plus carbs. And so if you're on these diets that say no carbs, watch your wine. It will make a difference. Uh, moderation, anything anyway, but still watch your wine. And, uh, okay. So, uh Check the charts out, though. See, it's got some great charts if, uh, uh, for the uh, sweetness charts for your wine. Wine folly, check your sweetness charts. Okay, let's see. And let's go back here to this. We've covered this before, but we've just talked the last couple of weeks to people who have taken their sommelier courses, and uh, this is something else. This is want to enhance your wine smarts online or even get certified. You can do so uh, by doing online wine courses. You don't have to show up in person and take the test and everything. Some are free, some are paid. We went through these lists before. I've talked all about the different ones and what are available and all that. Uh, wine, free wine courses online. Uh, you really learn stuff. It's You don't have a person-to-person -person interaction, and there's no certifications or certificates or anything. But it helps expand your knowledge. Or you can listen to All About Wine every week, and that will help expand your knowledge also. And then the paid courses, uh, you've got excellent guidance, and the courses are more than just videos. They're peer support. 
and they have live seminars and they also you get certified you get a certificate but it costs you money and it could be you know around two hundred dollars and sometimes for certification in courses that can be up to five hundred dollars so you know it's not you have to have the knowledge and you also have to have the money if you're working for a place that needs the certification they usually do it for you uh, or pay for it for you it's easy to find information though go to YouTube and there's what happened there can you still hear me yeah I got you okay good yeah there's something happening on the screen and I didn't know if it lost me or not um, go to YouTube find stuff on there uh, wine stuff on there you can learn a lot uh, subscribe to Wine Folly. Uh, she always has a lot of stuff on there, interesting things. Um, and so there's there's lots of different ways you can go at it. Uh, wine service for servers and hospitality. Uh, these are good things to get into. Uh, the WSET, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, is uh, one of the good ways to do it. There's videos there. You have videos for a guild psalm. And Wine Folly also has videos, uh, so it can expand your knowledge there. Uh, you can get these things for free, too, unless you're going to go into the actual jobs of needing those, then stay with the free. Uh, you can also check out Wine 101 page or subscribe to get the free PDF guide for reference from Wine Folly. They have all that, uh, and just just a lot of interesting free stuff there. And then you can start getting into the paid stuff, and I've talked to you a lot about the different paid things. Uh, they range anywhere from here's $29, $110, uh, $90 per month, $215, $600. Here's $1,100. So there's all sorts of stuff. And you've got regional things you can do and regional wine scholars for different things. That's going to run you from 600 to $800. Lots of stuff you can do. I've talked about certifications before and all that's involved with it and everything else. So you can always check out a past episode of All About Wine and find out that stuff. I just wanted to hit this lightly, but Wine Folly does have a course, uh, a free course that you can do that really is, I, I listened to it and I went through it, and it's really, you know, quite thorough and interesting. So uh, one of the things you can do that way. Uh, sommelier, you can do that. A beginner, uh, if you're working in a tasting room or you want to impress your friends, you can do that. Uh, certified sommelier, that's is working in a wine bar, restaurant, a wine store. This is gives you a certification there. Uh, industry experience pros, these are the ones that uh, go further steps in the sommelier. And then you can get the mastery. Uh, this takes up to 10,000 hours of practice. 
and by the time you get this, you are teaching the pros, and you are the you know a top dog. Very few of, the, of these people actually exist. I think there's, I I don't know, I hate to say a number, but there's very few of them in in this country, and very few of them around the world. So something to uh, look at. But Wine Follies Wine Styles Tasting Course. That's something you can go into and check out and. It's regional wines, tasting tips, maps, guided video experience, and it's all for expanded knowledge and to help you understand everything. This one isn't free. They do have a free course. This one isn't free. What does this one cost? Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to find out on this. Like everything to make you screw through everything to find out. $29. That's not bad. Uh, and then there's others, the Ultimate Tasting Package for two, which is 200 Ultimate Package for six, which is 470 Ultimate Package Tasting Package for 12 780 and different things you can do and go in there. But want to expand your knowledge again, you can go into this. It's got great reviews on, on this class. Uh, so, uh, ways to do it and ways to expand your knowledge. Again, I always suggest All About Wine. We have covered all sorts of topics over the years. And if you want a topic that you are not familiar with, then you want us to discuss it, then email us. We will be more than happy to do research and find out details and everything and discuss it for you. Okay, let's see. I think I have one more or two more. Yeah. Has your wine gone bad? Uh, Cork taint and other faults of wines. I've talked about different flaws in wine in cork taint. This article, it talks about the different ways that wines can be bad. When... If you open up, don't smell the cork. The cork's not going to tell you anything except that it smells like a cork. Um, the first thing you need to do is smell the wine. You can tell if it's oxidized. That just it loses its brightness. It starts changing colors and stuff. That's why you should look at the color. And an oxidized wine... You know, they have tools and stuff that's supposed to make it better. Basically, it's bad. I don't recommend drinking oxidized wine, but you can if you want. There are different tools to try to fix it. Uh, TCA, uh, cork taint. That's another one. About 2% of all wines bottled under corks have cork taint. I've heard it's higher than that. I've heard it's 35 to 4%. Either way... 2% is even too many. Uh, the barnyardy, the wet cardboard smell and all that. Different ways to fix it? Yeah. Uh, if they work, uh, there's all sorts of different things out there. What was it? Uh, three weeks ago, we had someone on who said that his filter stops the... Uh, sulfites and uh, the uh, smells and stuff in a wine, yeah, okay. I mean, uh, 
also saran wrap uh, is uh, something that uh, we've been used. They said that that will stop cork taint. But one of the problems with that is that the old saran wrap formula uh, created in 1933 by Dow Chemical uh, contained polyvinylidene chloride, or PDC, and that chemically binded to TCA and removed it from the wine. You can take the old saran wrap and wad it up and put it into your wine and stir it around and pull it out, and you got rid of cork taint. Well, saran wrap no longer uses PVDC. So, that's not going to work. It's uh, They stopped using it quite some time ago, actually. So, the, if you have a tainted wine, return it to your shop. There's not much you can do about it. It's not going to... Yeah, you know, take it back to the place where you bought it. Uh, sulfur compounds, there's another one. Uh, decanting can lessen the sulfur compounds, but it doesn't always work. Uh, you can smell sulfur. Sulfur is that rotten egg smell of burnt rubber, Cooked garlic, skunk smells, farts. I mean, that's that's all the the sulfur type. Uh, mercaptan is really what the, the flaw is called, and decanting it, letting it breathe, does help. But that's one of the better things you can do. Uh, secondary fermentation is another flaw you can find in your wines. Uh, this is, you see, a yeasty smell that you're going to pick up in a bottle. A lot of the wines that don't have added sulfites can very easily start the second fermentation because the yeast will start working on the sugars in the wine and will cause it to ferment a second time. Uh so that's that's one way to do it. She says, how can you fix it? And I will read her, no, you can't, but do some research into the stall to make sure it is not supposed to be there. She says, throw the wine into a decanter stall vessel and shake the living hell out of it to get rid of the bubbles as well. So there you go. There's there's bubbles in a pst when you open up the the, the wine. It's a second fermentation and... It's sometimes a pain. I had a couple of them affect me on the winery. Heat damage. That's when the wine has been stored improperly, uh, referred to also as a cooked wine. You can uh, smell this. smells jammy, sort of a off sweetness to it. And it's not a pleasant overall t- smell or taste can't be fixed it really should be returned to wherever you bought it if you get one that is heat damaged uh, they should take care of it during the process of shipping and and they will most places will happily exchange it for you uv light damage also light strike this is really more common than you think this is what happens when uh 
light and particularly uh, fluorescent lights can strike a wine. Champagnes, Pinot Grigio, and Sauvignon Blanc, or the most delicate ones, and those are the ones that you're going to find most often. This will make the wine smell like wet wool sweater. Uh, damage caused because of the UV rays and storing wine near the sun or near a window or under, well, fluorescent lights. I mean, any long-term under fluorescent can do it. Can't be fixed. Uh, if you get wine that is that, then tell the shop that you got it from, don't store this in front of a window, particularly if it's a Champagne or Pinot Grigio or Sauvignon Blanc. Those things are very susceptible to UV light damage uh, or light strike. So uh, take it back to them. Let them know. And it's micro microbial or bacterial taint. You pick up a wine, you smell it, you go, oh, this doesn't quite smell right. Something's off on this. This has got a, well, so many refer to it as a mousy smell. Uh, it's bacteria. And many microbes live in wine fermentation and it can be brought up and all that. So you've got to be careful with that stuff. Is there anything can be done about it? No. Once it's there, that's it. Uh, it. There's nothing you can do if it's affected. Some stores and shops will take it back. If you bought it, your wine at a winery, they will definitely take it back. They want to know that stuff. But if you got it at a store or something, more than likely they won't, you know, because, you know, it's, They'll say, well, you don't like this wine. You're bringing it back because you don't like it. And you'll say, no, 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 it's got, you know, it's got a bacterial uh, smell. No, well, and so you can try, but probably the best thing to do is just, you know, toss it. Uh, or as she suggested, get a microscope and start looking for things in your wine. And let's see, I went too fast there. Uh Tartrates, um, these won't hurt you. You'll find tartrates, it looks like little little glass shards in, in the wine, uh, little crystals sitting on the bottom of older wines. They are harmless, they won't hurt you. If you're scared of them, filter your wine, it will be fine. Uh, it doesn't hurt you at all. A wine that smells green is not going to hurt you. Brett smells like a farm. Uh, some wines, you don't want other wines. Winemakers try to bring out the Brett. So just, you know, the basic faults that I read you read to you there, those are the ones you really need to be aware of because those are the ones that will cause the wine to taste bad. And you go out and buy yourself a bottle of wine, you want one that tastes good. So there you go. And I think, let's see, is there another one here that I wanted to talk about before we finish up Wine Folly? Well, uh, this one is, you know, I'm going to read this to you quickly here. It says, what's the best wine to go with steak? Well, 
always think that's a tough question because it really depends on the cut that you're getting. And the different cuts will dictate different wines. Usually red wines, but they're not all Cabernets and they're not all Pinot Noirs and they're not all Merlots. You need to get the full body or medium body or light body to go with your wine or to go with your steak. And so the different cuts will quote will dictate that. So you know, it's it's not not always easy to find one. If you're getting yourself a robust steak, then yes, get your heavy wines. But otherwise, you know, don't overpower that steak with a wine that is too heavy for what you're eating. If you have yourself a filet mignon that's rather delicate, then don't overpower it with something that's real heavy and full of tannins. Get something lighter. And we're done with wine folly. So, and the show. Adeline Puckett, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, a, lot of, a lot of good uh, information there for yeah. everybody. And She's very good. She is it. very good. And yeah. uh, everyone can subscribe to it again. It's winefolly.com, and you can go there and and subscribe to the e-better. So, all right. Yeah. Good. Good information. Um, let's see. We have uh, it's 8.05 right now. Our next show is going to be uh, June the 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Eastern Daylight Time. And um, hope you enjoyed it. And we'll tune in again next week for another episode of All About Wine and uh, the talk show podcast that's been on since 2009. Wow. Dedicated to the wine industry. Yeah. And uh, the wine industry, the weather. Um, Things that we yeah. did over the weekend, and uh, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we, we've, we've talked about a lot of stuff over the years. Yeah. But basically, wine. Basically, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah for the most um, part, we've talked about ghosts and we've talked about cemeteries and we've, but yeah. basically, right. wine. Yeah, yeah, that's the whole premise of it. But yes, a couple of other snuck in there as well. So we'll see you. Oh wait, let's just start. No, 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 no. Not yet. Whoa. Yeah, that Tempanillo that, that player was just a little bit anxious there. Ready to go. It's like, my turn? No. <laughs> no, not not yet. We'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next Thursday. Thanks again. And uh, have a good week and a weekend. And uh, be safe. And uh, join us next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening. Be safe. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. I played the whole thing, and I didn't even play it on the, the video portion. Oh, well. Anyway, <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> End this and go to the green room. Uh, yeah. Skip it. All right.